Hey, uh, I love going to the gym. I love going to the gym. I love to exercise. I love to, to work out. I love that when I'm at the gym that there's no possible way that I, can, that I can consider anything else in the world apart from getting this really heavy thing from here to here, right? I, I, love, I love the feeling of waking up the next day and, and kind of feeling sore and knowing that I worked hard. I love the gym so much that I have a, a 24-7 membership to the gym. I can go 365 days a year, any time of day or not. I could go at 3 a.m. if I wanted. I own all the gear, right? I have the clothes. I've got some sports shoes, right? I've got a drink bottle and a towel. I've got, I've got the supplements that I need to help my body to recover and to grow. And, and if you were to have a conversation with me and you asked me if I was a gym goer, my answer would absolutely be yes. I am a gym goer. The trouble is, if you were to check how many times I've actually been to the gym in the last six months, you would find that the answer is one. Once. One time in the last six months. I am totally committed to the gym. I am. I'm committed, right? The reason I don't go is not because I don't have time. I've got time. It's not because I'm recovering from some sickness or some injury. Now, the reason that I don't go is because when my alarm goes off at 6 a.m. and I have the choice between staying in my soft, warm bed and getting an extra hour's sleep or dragging myself to the smelly gym in the freezing cold to put myself through an hour of pain, it's not a hard choice. Not a hard choice to me. See, what I lack is, is not knowledge that that the gym will be effective or, or a conviction that if I go to the gym, it'll be good for my body and good for my mind. I know these things, right? I'm committed to these things. I reckon when it, uh, when it comes to the gym what, or, or exercise, really, it's not just me. I think probably what we all lack is willpower. It's not knowledge. It's not conviction. What I lack is willpower. To have willpower, right, is to act in a way that lines up with your convictions. To act in a way that lines up with your convictions. If you, if you know and believe and are convinced of something, then having willpower means forcing yourself to act accordingly, even if there's temptations to do something different, to act in a different way. That's what willpower is. Willpower is, is forcing yourself out of the warm bed even though there's a temptation to stay because you are convinced that going to the gym is going to be good for you and you are committed to those benefits. You want those benefits. Willpower, it's the ability to control ourselves, to, to master ourselves, to, to fight temptations and to fight our impulses so that we can act in line with what we know and believe and are convinced of. As we open up Mark chapter 14 this morning, and actually as we start coming towards the end of our series in, in Mark's Gospel, I want to spend some time thinking about willpower. This isn't a psychology lecture. I don't want to talk about willpower in the context of exercise or, or diet, but in the context of our Christian life willpower in the context of our Christian life. And as we look at 
the will of the disciples and the will of the Father and the will of Jesus, it's my hope that together we'll have a greater understanding of why Jesus came. And it's also my hope that together we'll walk away very thankful that Jesus is a better man than us. I'm going to pray as we open up the word together this morning. Let's pray to our good God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that even though we are weak, you are strong. We ask that as we open Mark 14, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready to accept what you have to teach us. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. First, the will of the disciples. The will of of the disciples. We jump into the story just after the events of the Last Supper. Jesus has, has just shared a meal with his disciples and now he takes them from the house that, that, that they're in and he takes them to the Mount of Olives, which is just outside the city of Jerusalem. And then Jesus says something pretty shocking. In verse 27, hopefully you've got your Bible open in front of you there in Mark 14. Verse 27, Jesus says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now I can imagine being one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. This sounds outrageous, right? It might even be a little bit hurtful to hear this as one of Jesus' closest friends. They've been with Jesus the whole time. They've stuck with him through thick and thin. They are there. They are his mates. And so Peter pipes up. I love Peter. He uh, he just sort of like says what he's thinking. It just kind of comes out of him. He's a bit like me. He doesn't kind of think over these things before he speaks. Uh, And so Peter says, never, never, I won't abandon you, Jesus. I won't abandon you. Even if the rest of these guys do, I won't. I will not abandon you. Even if I have to die with you, I won't disown you. It's not just Peter. Verse 31, all the others said the same. They all said the same thing. We will not disown you. We will die with you. They are convinced, right? They are confident. They mean what they say. I don't think for one second that these guys are lying when they say this. They really believe it. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And they trusted that no matter what dangers they might face, they had the willpower to stick by him. They had the willpower to stick by him. They thought that when things got tough, they would be able to overcome the temptation to bail on Jesus. Just like me with the gym, right? They were convinced. They thought they'd have no trouble waking up with the 6 a.m. alarm. They thought they'd be able to follow through on their promise to Jesus. At this point, Jesus takes his inner circle. It's Peter, James, and John. He takes them with him. And he goes a little bit further into the Garden of Gethsemane so that he can pray. Right? Jesus is worried. He's distressed because he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to be arrested and he's about to be killed. 
Now, we're going to come back to Jesus and to his prayer shortly, but for now, I just want to spend a minute and focus in on these three disciples and what happens for them here. Jesus gives them an instruction in verses 32 to 34. Stay here and keep watch while I pray. Stay here and keep watch while I pray. He's just warned them that danger is at hand, that he will be struck down and that they will scatter. He wants them to stay awake. He wants them to be alert. He wants them to pray as he prays. This is a serious thing. And so he gives them this instruction and then he goes away and he prays. Jesus prays. But as he comes back in verse 37, he finds the disciples fast asleep. They're sleeping. Pretty funny, isn't it? If you ever think about it. They promised that they wouldn't abandon him even to the point of death. But they can't stay awake with him now. And so Jesus gives them a warning. Verse 38. Here's his warning. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knows that he is about to be arrested and that their temptation will be to run away. He knows this, to abandon him. They had the right convictions. The spirit is willing. They had the right convictions. They wanted to stand by him. But Jesus knows that if they're going to rely on their willpower then they will abandon him because the flesh is weak. The only way that they might overcome their temptation to abandon Jesus is if God empowers them to do it, if God gives them the strength. And that is why they need to pray. That's why Jesus wants them to pray. And so Jesus goes off and again, he prays. Jesus prays. And when he returns again, he finds them sleeping. Presumably it's it's late at night. They've just had a big meal with Jesus. They're probably exhausted. I get it. I get it. But the point here is simple. It's a simple point. How do they expect to stand by Jesus in their own strength when he gets arrested and killed if they can't even stay awake and pray with him? They can't even force themselves to do that. How are they going to stand by him? when things get really tough. Now the same thing happens again for a third time, but this time when Jesus comes back to wake them up, time's up. The time for praying is over. The moment that they needed to be praying about is here. The hour has come. Verse 42, Jesus says in verse 42, Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The hour has come. Into the garden comes Judas, one of the twelve, and he's followed by a crowd armed with swords and clubs. And there's a small scuffle in verse 47. One of the disciples, probably Peter, pulls out a sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the mob. But Jesus, he doesn't put up a fight. He knows that now is the time for his arrest. He knows this is the time. Verse 49, the scriptures must be fulfilled. And as soon as Jesus hands himself over to them, verse 50, 
Everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone deserted him and fled. It didn't even last a few hours. When push came to shove, no matter how strong their convictions were, the disciples couldn't overcome the temptation to run away. They couldn't master themselves. Their willpower failed. And the reason is because of sin. When humans were created in Genesis 2, God made them for relationship with him and to submit to him and to his word. Humans were made to submit to God and his word, to put his will before their own will. But since Adam ate the fruit in the garden and his own desires overcame his trust in the word of God, since then, the human will was broken. The human will was broken at that point. Now, our will is is twisted and deformed. And we look out for ourselves and we serve ourselves instead of submitting to what God wants for us. And so when the disciples are faced with this choice between standing with Jesus to death and saving their own skin by running, they relied on their willpower, which of course led them to trying to save themselves first. They made some big promises, good promises, right promises, promises that they would stick by Jesus. But they couldn't back them up because their willpower was broken by sin. And that is the case actually for all humanity including us, our willpower is also broken by sin. That's why if if you're caught in some sin, whatever it is, if you're caught in some sin, the answer isn't to rely on willpower to stop yourself from sinning again. Because if you're relying on your willpower, you're relying on a broken mechanism to stop you. We're going to come back later to how we should combat sin. Uh, But the bottom line is, we will always choose ourselves over God. This is sin. We will always choose ourselves over God. And the payment for sin is death, judgment, and hell. But good news, God had a plan to fix the mess. God had a plan to fix the mess. The will of the Father. The will of the Father. Now, I won't spend ages here because this passage doesn't explore it deeply. It assumes that we understand the will of the Father because the Father's will is laid out right across Scripture. It's right across Scripture. But let me give you an example. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah says that even though all mankind deserves death and judgment for sin... That through a man, sin would be dealt with. Isaiah 53 from verse 4, it's going to come up on the screen. Read along with me. Surely, 
He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And continuing from verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. It was God's will that a man would come who would bear the punishment of death and judgment on behalf of all mankind. A sacrificial lamb without blemish or defect. And that God would pour out the cup of his wrath on him. His wrath against sin. And that man is Jesus. That is the will of the Father. That Jesus should be the man that Adam wasn't. That Jesus should be the man that we are not. That he should submit his own will to the will of the Father. And by doing that, he would be sinless. A lamb without blemish. The one who could pay the penalty for the sin of all mankind. That is the will of the Father. So let's have a look at, at, at Jesus in this passage and see how he goes. Right? He, he's God. It should be easy for him to submit to God's will. I mean, we fail. But come on, it's Jesus. It should be easy for him, right? Jump back with me to verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Doesn't sound like it was easy for Jesus. He is deeply distressed and troubled. He is so overwhelmed with sorrow that he falls to the ground. He knows that in front of him is waiting the cross where he will die. And he knows that even worse, the Father will pour out his own wrath against sin on him. The perfect relationship that he has shared with the Father from eternity past is going to be affected. It's going to be interrupted in some way for the only time in all eternity. And that is far, far worse than any physical pain that he's going to have to endure. 
if the disciples' temptation is that they would bail on Jesus, Jesus' temptation is that he would bail on the Father. That he would try to escape the Father's will. He, he doesn't want this to happen. right? He doesn't want to face God's wrath. He prays to God desperately and, and intimately. Verse 36, he calls him Abba, which is like, Dad, I know you have the power. I know everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, the cup of your wrath. Right, Jesus' prayer is this. Dad, if there is any other way to fix the problem of sin, please do that instead. But then, he says something that is like, this is, this is jaw-dropping, time-stopping kind of stuff in the second half of verse 36. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, but what you will. As Jesus says these words, he does what Adam didn't do and he does what we don't do. He perfectly submits his will to the will of the Father. He overcomes the temptation to put himself first and he puts God before himself. And it's because of that that he is able to be our representative and our substitute on the cross. The sinless human who perfectly submits his will to God. The lamb without blemish. That's what Jesus came to do. And so I guess the question is, well, what does this mean for you and me? And what, what does this mean for our will and for our willpower? Well, firstly, it means that our will is broken. Our will is broken. We are sinful. right? No, no matter how strong our beliefs and our convictions are, no matter how much we think we will be able to stand up against temptation by our own willpower... We fail. We fail. We're just like the disciples who abandoned Jesus. Unless God intervenes, at some point, we're always going to put ourselves first. We're not good enough for God. We can't earn our place in his kingdom. We can't submit to him in our own strength. We are only welcomed in by grace. Because Jesus did what we couldn't do. And as I, as I prepared this passage this week, I was, I was just struck again by how flawed I am. But how amazing is the grace that God has given me in Jesus. I am so thankful for that. We should all be so thankful for that grace. We need a rest in that grace. I mean, the, the disciples, they were useless in the garden, right? Jesus did all the work. Let's be honest, we're useless too. Jesus does it all. 
our will is broken. Secondly, it means that because of what Jesus has already done, we can submit our will to God. Not always, not perfectly, because our sin is still trying to pull us in the other direction. But God has given us his spirit. And, and through Jesus, he has given us access to him in prayer. Right? Je- Jesus told his disciples to pray that they wouldn't fall into temptation, but instead they slept. And when they were faced with temptation, well, they followed their, their twisted will rather than submitting to God's will. But did you notice that Jesus did pray that he wouldn't fall into temptation? And when he was faced with it, he submitted to God's will, even though his desires were pulling him in another direction. He didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to face God's wrath. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not suggesting that if we pray, we're going to be immune to sin. That's not the case. Even though we pray, sometimes we will still fail. We will still fall into temptation. We will still sin. So thank God for grace. But if we want any hope of acting in a way, acting in a way that matches what we believe and know and are convinced of, we need God's strength to do that. If Jesus needs to pray to shape his will to God's, I reckon we probably do too, right? Jesus had to pray to shape his will to God's. I reckon we do too. As you walk out of here today, trust God's amazing grace to you in Jesus to forgive you for your failures. And lean on him in prayer, asking always as Jesus did, yet not what I will, but what you will. We are fallen creatures with broken wills, Resting in the hands of a gracious God. What a beautiful freedom that is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that our salvation doesn't depend on our willpower to overcome sin, but on your Son who died for us. Thank you for grace. Work by your Spirit in us to fight our sinful will and to submit ourselves always to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.